For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. relationship with God has a direct bearing on your relationships with people, a truth that's illustrated in one of Jesus' greatest parables. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at the parable of the Good Samaritan and how your relationship with God is reflected in the quality of your compassion. From a life beyond amazing, here's David to introduce his message, A Life of Compassion. Well, friends, compassion is... um on display everywhere if you look for it. Certainly, uh, we see it in what's happening in Ukraine as uh, this horrible war is underway, and you see the people of Ukraine helping each other, and compassion is certainly a big part of it. We also uh, have compassion. Uh, As you may or may not know, we've contributed very sacrificially in many ways to the people there through the Franklin Graham Ministry. And why do we do that? Because we care, and we, we care about the people that are suffering. We see every day their pictures, and it moves our hearts. That's what it means to have compassion. And we're going to talk about it today as we go back to a story from the New Testament that is full of this truth. We'll get there in a moment. But first, let me remind you that during this month, when you send a gift of any size to help us with the ministry of Turning Point, we'd like to send you a copy of Why the Nativity, the book that is featured in this new docudrama that is coming out uh, in just a few days. This book gives you 25 questions about Christmas with answers about them. Questions about why Mary, why Joseph, why the shepherds? Why was this day the day we chose to celebrate Christmas? Why the baby? All these questions, and that's what the movie was built on. Inside this book, which was reproduced just for the movie, there's a section with 25 pictures from the set where this whole movie was created here in Southern California. They're beautiful pictures in four colors. And we'd love for you to have this. We know that it will be a blessing to you during the Christmas season. And as you have opportunity to see the docudrama, you will have a copy of this that uh, will help you understand what we were doing and how this came about. So when you send your gift, be sure to ask for your copy of Why the Nativity. Let's get started with today's lesson on compassion from Luke chapter 10, A Life of Compassion, Part 1. We've been talking about the life beyond amazing, and we've used as our structure for that series the nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit that are given to us in the book of Galatians. So far, I have talked with you about love, joy, and peace. Today, I want to talk with you about compassion. Now, love, joy, and peace are really about how God fills us with love and joy and peace and how we express that. Compassion is even more how God shows us what compassion is, and then he hands it off to us. There's an old adage that says, the only arms that Jesus has on earth are yours. The only feet he has are yours. 
You are the presence of Jesus in this world. If you're a follower of Christ, you represent him in this community. The Lord Jesus is not physically on this earth except in the presence of his people. So we're going to ask God to use this message to help us understand how we can be men and women of compassion. A young pastor was given a trip to the Holy Land as a gift from someone in his congregation. It was his first trip overseas, and he found himself totally unprepared for the radical differences in influence between his own lifestyle in America and what he encountered in the Middle East. One day, when his tour group was in Jerusalem, he took some free time and ventured into what is called the Old City. As he made his way across an open intersection, he was shocked by a figure coming toward him. She was tiny, thin, frail, covered from head to knee in a dirty black robe of some sort. Only her hands, eyes, and bare feet were showing, and even so little of her body visible, it was obvious from her creased and leathery skin that she was old, or perhaps her hard life had aged her beyond her years. The young pastor stopped and watched her coming, and he had one thought. This is the poorest person I have ever seen. She was walking fast like she was ashamed to be seen in public, leaning forward. Her eyes were on the ground. She clutched her robe tightly about her. Her bare feet were just barely touching the street as she moved quietly past. The man turned to watch her. He watched her disappear into the crowd behind him, and he felt immediately conflicted. He stood there with his fashionable, more than adequate clothes, shoes on his feet, expensive camera slung over one shoulder, and a travel bag full of resources slung over the other shoulder. He had just allowed the poorest, most pitiful person he'd ever seen in his life to go by him like she was a piece of video footage on the evening news. This poor woman walked by so close to him that he could have reached out and touched her, but he didn't, and she was gone. So he prayed. He prayed, Lord, if you will let me see that woman again, I will help her. Please let my path cross hers again before I leave this place. He finished his trek through the old city, made his way back toward his hotel, his eyes scanning the crowds for the wisp of a woman he had seen, and there she was. He startled her when he motioned to her to stop, and her eyes met his. He didn't know any Hebrew or Arabic and couldn't imagine that she knew any English, so he just held out his hand and he said, Jesus. She took the money he offered her and began nodding and making murmuring sounds. Her eyes were smiling at the corners, and she disappeared again into her limited world. Would that man ever again see this woman? No. Would he have any way to know whether the money that he gave her was used for a good purpose? No. Did any of that matter to him at that moment? No. Should it have mattered? No. What mattered was that he, a well-fed, healthily blessed by God person, had just come in contact with a desperately poor woman who looked as if she was starving. She had what appeared to be abundant needs, and he had the ability to meet those needs at least for a few days. So he did what mattered at the moment. He had compassion on someone God had brought across his path. Compassion is often about the moment, isn't it? It's about what I have in my hand, money, talent, organization, encouragement, 
or even a shoulder to cry on that will meet another person's need. Compassion is about those times in our lives when God intends us, you and me, to be the healer, the helper, and the hero in somebody else's life. Never has that been demonstrated or taught better than in the story we have in the New Testament called the Good Samaritan. Most people believe that the two greatest stories Jesus told were the story of the prodigal son and the story of the Good Samaritan. Interestingly enough, both of these stories are found in the book of Luke and not in any of the other Gospels. And I believe the story of the Good Samaritan is the greatest story ever told on the subject of compassion. In this story, perhaps more than in any other story in the Bible, you see how your relationship with God affects your relationship with other people. In all of these previous messages on love, joy, and peace, I have kind of followed the pattern of telling you the biblical story up front and then at the end giving you some go-to steps. How do you do this? How do we put this in? But the story of the Good Samaritan and the practical aspects of it are so intertwined that you can't tell one without the other. So we're going to go through this story together, and I'm going to teach the passage and the application of the passage all at the same time. I just want to give you a little upfront notice so you understand that. In this parable that Jesus told, we will meet individuals who are confronted with the responsibility of compassion. And how they respond to their opportunity to be compassionate, it will inform us about our strengths and our weaknesses and our potential either to engage or to avoid. From this story, we are going to learn the meaning of compassion, what it is and what it is not. Let's start with a few what it is nots. First of all, compassion is not academic. Luke 10, 25, we read, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. And he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? The man who approached Jesus in this story is called a certain lawyer. But if you happen to be a lawyer here today, this is not a beat down on lawyers, and you will be off the hook in about two minutes. (laughs) Because you see, literally, in the Bible, a lawyer, or this particular term, was just somebody who studied the law. If we were to refer to him in our culture, we would say he was a theologian. This man studied the word of God in order to understand its meaning. He was a professional Bible student. And the question that this lawyer asked Jesus was not a sincere question. The Bible tells us that he asked this question with the motivation of testing Jesus. The religious lawyers of Jesus' day loved to discuss all the urgent problems of their time. They wanted to discuss these problems. They just never wanted to do anything about them. They usually slanted their discussions in order to avoid any feeling of responsibility of their own. And the lawyer of Luke 10 had sufficient knowledge of the Word of God. We know that. In fact, when Jesus asked him a question, he quoted a whole verse of Scripture by heart, and he did it perfectly. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He knew that thesis by heart. But he did not know how to apply that thesis to his life. 
I can prove it to you. He did not know how to apply it because he had never loved his neighbor. Because if he had loved his neighbor, he would have known who his neighbor was. Gotcha. It is not possible to love your neighbor and not know who he is. So when he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor, he gave himself away. When the lawyer asked Jesus to define the term neighbor, he was using a ploy that is often used today to deflect any direct confrontation with God's word. But Jesus threw the question right back at him. Jesus said to him, so what does the law say? How do you read it? Master teachers often do what Jesus did that day. When they are asked a question, rather than answering it, they will reply with a question for their student. What is written in the law? How do you read it? That was Jesus' question. He was probing, but it was also technical. The technical question would have been well known by the lawyer. Often during debates about the meaning of the law, scribes would consult one another about a passage, and this is how they would talk. They would say, well, how do you read this? Or what is your interpretation of this? And they would interact with each other about the text. Something that happens often in our small groups where we open the Word of God and we're studying and and we're asking each other the questions about the text. So Jesus asked the lawyer that day, well, what does the law say? How do you read this? And Jesus refused to let this attorney define the concept of neighbor in his very tight, clean discussion. He chose rather, Jesus did, to define the term neighbor in a world of murder and blood. He told the lawyer a story that he would never forget. Who is your neighbor? Jesus could have answered that question with a simple statement, but instead he told a story that has become one of the most beloved stories of all time. Like the lawyers of his day, if we are not careful, we can become students of compassion. We can read about it. We can enjoy the stories that are published about it. We can applaud those we know who practice it. We can even get vicarious blessings from listening to people talk about how they have energized compassion in their life. But we didn't do it. They did it. And we have no right to take joy in our own hearts as if we did it. If they did it, we become arm's length with compassion because we know about it. We study it. We listen to it. We observe it. But Jesus wants us to take that one step further and be involved in it. I remember reading about a Christian leader who was invited to speak at a large, affluent church. It was a gathering of women who came together in that church. And before he spoke, the woman who was leading the meeting relayed an urgent financial need from one of the church's missionaries. She asked the speaker if he would lead the group in prayer for God to supply the need. And he came to the podium and shocked them by saying he would not. He would not lead the group in the requested prayer. But he would do something else. He would contribute all the money he had in his pockets to meet the need if all the women in the group would do the same. This is a courageous pastor. If when that money was collected and counted, funds were still lacking, he'd be happy to lead in prayer for what simply needed to be done next. You can guess what happened. When the money was collected, there was more than enough to meet the missionary's emergency need. Here was a group that wanted to talk about compassion and even wanted to pray about it, but they found a pastor who understood what it means to be compassionate, and he began the process, and look what happened. Let me just remind you again that compassion is not academic. It is not something that you study. Number two, 
Compassion is not abstract. Read verse 30 with me. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. The story reports the kind of thing that often happened on the road. This was a road notoriously dangerous for travelers. And the road was filled with narrow defiles and short curves and places where people could hide behind rocks. And it was an excellent place for those who wanted to rob the travelers who came across that road. Jesus refused to allow the lawyer to deal with compassion in the abstract. Jesus showed him the mutilated body of the traveler by the side of the road and he asked him again, who is your neighbor? And Jesus will not allow us to be abstract about the identity of our neighbors either. Haddon Robinson, one of my teachers in seminary, said, A neighbor is anyone who is in need, whose need you have the possibility of relieving. It doesn't have to be the neighbor on your street, not the neighbor in your church, not somebody you even know by name. Your neighbor is anybody who is in need, whose need you are capable of making better. So compassion's not academic and it's not abstract. Let me tell you, thirdly, it's not afraid. Verse 31 says that a priest came down the road, a certain priest, it says. And when he saw this man, he passed by on the other side. Now that's like walking down the sidewalk on one side and you see somebody laying in the sidewalk, obviously in great distress, and you go across the street and walk by on the other side of the street until you're past where this person is, and then you come back and get on the side where you want to be. Jesus begins this part of the story by saying that by chance this certain priest came down the road. Now, the priest that traveled down the road that day was probably one of the 12,000 priests who were living in Jericho at that time. You see, the temple was built now, and it was such a huge place They needed so many priests to do the worship work in the temple that you will read in the Old Testament, they divided all the priests into 24 different teams. And each team of priests was allowed to serve in the temple proper for two weeks every year. And Jesus said that this priest passed by the wounded man. In fact, he passed by on the other side. Why did he do that? Because he was afraid. He was afraid of what he might find. There was no way that he could tell for sure if this man were dead, but neither could he afford to find out because if he had come to the man and touched him and discovered that he was dead, he would have been ceremonially unclean for seven days. And that day the priest decided to put religion above the suffering of a person. In his little book on compassion, My friend Charles Swindoll tells a story that reminds us that we today have the potential to replicate this New Testament incident. This event occurred on the campus of an evangelical seminary, the very grounds where future ministers were in training. And a Greek class was given an assignment to study the passage we're studying today, Luke 10, 25 to 37. The same Good Samaritan story we're talking about right now. These young theologues were to do an in-depth analysis of the biblical text. They were to observe and comment on all the major terms in the text, all the syntactical factors worth mentioning, and each student was to write out his own translation of the passage after having done the work on his commentary. 
Now, as it is true in most language classes, a couple or three of the students cared more about the practical implications of the assignment than its intellectual stimulation. So these three dudes get together one morning and teamed up and carried out a plan to prove their point. Here's what they did. One of them volunteered to play the part of an alleged victim. They tore his shirt and his trousers, and they rubbed mud and ketchup all over his wounds, and they marked up his eyes and face so he hardly resembled himself, and they placed him along the path between the dormitory and the Greek classroom. And while the other two of the three hid behind and watched, probably taking videos, this man groaned and he writhed in great pain. And not one of the students in the whole Greek class stopped. They walked around him. They stepped over him. They said some amusing things to him. But nobody stooped over to help. What do you want to bet their academic work was flawless and insightful and they handed it in on time, but they didn't learn a blessed thing. The disconnect in this story continues today, which is why we read in the book of 1 John, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, get rid of the nonsense of talking about it as though you have already done it when you haven't even stopped to do it. Fourthly, let me tell you that compassion is not analytical. In verse 32, we read there's another traveler who came along the way. He was a Levite. And the Bible says that when he arrived at the place, he came and he looked and passed by on the other side. The Levite was the worship leader of that church. I mean, he was the minister of religious worship, an interpreter of the law. He should have known and been eager to help this distressed man. He had the opportunity. He had the knowledge. And if you read the story carefully, he had even a little bit more curiosity than the priest because at least he came and looked. The priest just went on the other side and kept going. He looked, which means he either had more curiosity for which he should be commended or he had more callousness for which he should be condemned. Because the priest didn't see how bad it was, obviously the Levite saw how bad it was, and he still went by. Some have thought that this priest who passed by on the other side said, I'll leave this man to the Levite who's coming right after me. He'll take care of him. And the Levite thought since the priest passed him by, it must not be a good case for him to take either. So he passed by. In other words... The priest didn't serve because of the Levite, and the Levite didn't serve because of the priest. They were both calculating and analyzing and trying to figure out who should do what with this guy. And all the while, this poor man who was beaten and bruised is lying there dying. Both the priest and the Levite illustrate this fact. Listen to me carefully. Religious work does not make the worker religious. A lot of people do religious work who aren't very religious people who aren't good people, who do what these two religious people did, bypass the suffering of another human being as if he did not exist. So compassion is not academic, it's not abstract, it's not afraid, and it's not analytical. But let me tell you what it is. Compassion is action. Yes, it is. It's not what you think or what you feel, it's what you do. And that will be the focus of our attention tomorrow when we continue our study of this particular quality in a life beyond amazing. Wednesday and Thursday, we're going to talk about a life of generosity. And then on Friday, 
And Monday, we'll talk about a life of integrity. This series goes up to Thanksgiving, and uh, then we'll take some time off and come back and finish up the series, get ready for Christmas. That's kind of where we're going, and I hope that you will be with us throughout every day. Friends, if you would like to have a copy of the book that is behind the movie, Why the Nativity, we have one for you. If you will send a gift of any size to Turning Point during this month, we'll send this beautiful book to you. It is four color, all of the content that we built this movie around, plus pictures of the actors and the set, beautiful color pictures bound into the center of this new book. So ask for that book when you send your gift today, and we'll be happy to send it to you as our way of saying thank you. And there's still enough time, if you don't wait too much longer, for you to be included in the Caribbean cruise December the 28th through January the 4th. This event happens just about every year. We take a group of people, and after we have survived Christmas and what it can do to us with all of the activities, we get away for a little rest, a little review of the year, and a little preparation for the new year. We have wonderful fellowship, great music, teaching from the Word of God, and beautiful scenery. I hope you can try to go with us. Many have signed up already. You be among that group. We'll see you next time. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, A Life Beyond Amazing, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Fill your Christmas with meaning and joy by asking for your copy of David's book and new docudrama DVD, why the nativity sure to become a christmas classic each is available for your gift of any amount you can also purchase the jeremiah study bible in the english standard new international and new king james versions available in your choice of cover options get the details when you visit our website davidjeremiahca radio this is david michael jeremiah join us tomorrow as we continue the series a life beyond amazing here on turning point with dr david jeremiah the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. I know little about the art of sailing a boat in the ocean, but a very simple African proverb suddenly made me realize that sailing is like most of life. The proverb says, smooth seas do not make skillful sailors. How would a sailor ever become a master at sailing if the seas were always smooth? 
It's interesting that the prophet Ezekiel makes a reference to skillful sailors as wise men. Just so, we become wise in navigating through life by experiencing stormy circumstances. We only grow to maturity when we are challenged to overcome obstacles. That is the true meaning of biblical wisdom. And this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to acquire wisdom on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.